verses 38 through 42, a story that we just heard for the kids, but now hear it for you as well. Listen now for God's word to you. Now, as Jesus and his disciples went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The central vision of Jesus' life is what we call the kingdom of God. And now I'll admit kingdoms are sort of an outdated idea for us modern folks. So different ways of talking about it are the reign of God, the realm of God. It is this world as it could and should be. It is the world that is in all ways touched by the love and the grace and the mercy and the justice of God. And, and Jesus talks about the arrival of the kingdom of God with a, a sense of urgency. So at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, when he goes to his hometown synagogue to preach for the hometown crowd, he unrolls the, pro- the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he picks a selection that says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim release for the captives, to let the oppressed go free, to announce the year of God's favor, the year of jubilee, the release of all debts. And so he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and he begins his sermon by saying, this scripture has been fulfilled as you heard it. So right now, in this moment, there is justice and love. The kingdom of God is here. There is no need to wait anymore. Right now, there is good news for the poor. Right now, there is justice for the oppressed. Right now, the jubilee is being announced. And so as Jesus goes throughout his ministry, he really announces the arrival. It is with him wherever uh, he goes. The kingdom of God has arrived with this great sense of urgency. And this is one of the the themes of the Gospel of Luke, one of the great themes of the Gospel of Luke. It is about uh, Jesus' concern for the poor. Um, And we find this throughout the Bible, but this is a particular concern of the Gospel writer Luke. And it's not just that we are to be showing kindness to the poor or being nice to the poor. It's about the great reversal that's happening, how the, the world is being flipped upside down. Think of that great song of Mary during the season of Advent, one of my favorite songs in the entire Bible, the Magnificat. The the Lord is is casting down the powerful and lifting up the lowly, that God is filling the hungry with good things, but is sending the rich away empty-handed. It's about this great reversal. It's one of the great themes of the Gospel of Luke. And one of the other great themes of the Gospel of Luke is the elevation of the status of women. And we see that here in this story with Mary and Martha, these two great themes coming together. Now, when I was in seminary, when I was in my preaching class, one of the things that they told us is that we should pay attention to what happens around any particular story that you're preaching on, what happens before and what happens after. Well, just before this story of Mary and Martha, these two squabbling siblings, we have one of the most famous parables Jesus tells, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable that even if you didn't grow up in the church, for people who are not part of a church now, they are familiar with the idea of the Good Samaritan, especially in a Western society. Hospitals, charitable institutions are named after the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
It starts with a religious scholar having a question, as religious scholars do. He asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Which is the most important, Jesus? And Jesus does what Jesus always does. He asks a question in return. What's in there? What do you read in Scripture? And the religious scholar says that we are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's the charge that I give to you every single week. And Jesus says that's the right answer, but the scholar has some follow-up questions because that's what religious scholars do. Who is my neighbor, he asks. And that's when he tells that famous parable, a Jewish man walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's jumped, he's mugged, he's thrown in the gutter left for half dead. And it just so happens two of his own people are walking by, a priest and a Levite no less. Certainly they're going to stop and help him. But their religious duties are far more important, so they walk by on the other side. But then there comes the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan. The hatred between the Samaritans is legendary. It's akin to the Tutsis and the Hutus of the Rwandan genocide, the Serbs and the Croats of the Yugoslav wars. The Samaritan, though, is the one who stops and draws close to the man lying in the gutter. He puts him on his own donkey. He pays for his medical expenses. Who is a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers, Jesus asks. And the, the religious scholar says, the one who was merciful to him, the Samaritan. That, and then Jesus says to go and to do likewise. The Samaritan for us becomes the archetype of what Christian service and discipleship looks like. We all want to be the Samaritan when it comes to responding to the needs of people around us. And I think it was true for Martha as well. That I have no way of knowing if Martha was there when Jesus told this parable, but in my own imagination, I like to think that she was. I like to think that Martha had been paying attention all along the way as Jesus had talked about the arrival of the kingdom of God, as he had talked about going and doing likewise. And now as Jesus and his disciples are continuing on this journey towards Jerusalem, she decides to do what one, is, one of the most important things anybody in that society could do, offering hospitality to those who are traveling. And so Martha decides to open the home that she shares with her sister Mary to Jesus and his 12 disciples. Now, if you're hosting Jesus and 12 other guys, a lot of work goes into preparing, right? Martha's house is nowhere near ready to host anybody. The, the, the floors are a mess. There's a pile of mail accumulating on the counter. She needs to do a grocery list, so she writes one out. She finds the perfect recipe. She spends all day cooking and cleaning. She tastes the sauce to make sure that it's just right. She sets a, a pitcher and a bowl right by the door so that Jesus and his disciples can can wash their feet as they enter into the house. And she's doing all of this, and her sister Mary is nowhere to be found. And everything is finally ready just before Jesus and his disciples show up, and they walk through the door, in walks Mary with them. And so they gather around the table. The centerpieces are beautiful. The, the nice silverware and plates are out, and, and Mary serves everybody. You know how it is when you're the host. You often don't get to eat with everybody else. So Martha chokes down some food over the kitchen sink. And then finally, dinner's over, and there's a pile of dishes sitting in the sink, and she's getting ready to clean up. But again, where is Mary? Where is that girl, she says. 
And she goes into the kitchen, or she goes into the living room. There is Mary sitting on the floor listening to Jesus as she talks. Well, well, as he talks. Martha has had enough of this. She's cooked. She's clean. There is no way in the world she's going to do that pile of dishes in the sink all by herself. Now, I have no way of knowing the birth order of these two sisters, but if I had to imagine, I would imagine that Martha is the oldest. And I say that because we oldest children always recognize each other. (laughs) We oldest children have it the hardest of any birth order in the siblings, right? It's always good to get a groan. Yeah, yeah. We oldest children are always the overly responsible ones, always doing the thing that's right. And we're also overly concerned with what our siblings are doing or are not doing. And we're quick to rope in authority figures to correct any injustices that our siblings are doing. I've told you all before, I'm the oldest of four kids, and whenever my parents went out for the evening, I was always the one in charge, and I loved being in charge. (laughs) I was like some despot of a failed state somewhere in the world. I was a dictator. And I remember one particular evening, my mom and dad had left, and my siblings were not respecting my right to rule over them. And so I decided to call in some backup. I called my grandma, who lived just a few miles away. She quickly rushed over. She read them the riot act. I was proud of myself for that. (laughs) But when my parents showed up, it was like the UN had arrived. They were not at all pleased with me. He said, the next time you have a disagreement with your siblings, work it out amongst yourselves. This is what's happening here in the story. Martha is calling in an authority figure to mediate this conflict between her and her sister. Jesus, she says, she stops there in front of everybody, flower in her hair, all disheveled, sweating from hosting everybody. She said, looks Jesus dead in the face and says, Jesus, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me? It's always my sister when you're mad at them, right? Never their name. Don't you care that my sister isn't helping me? Tell her to get up. And that's when Jesus looks at her and offers his response and says, Martha, you are concerned, you are distracted by so many things. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. Now, this story is traditionally read throughout the centuries. Interpreters have read this story sort of as this allegory between contemplation and social action, where Mary and Martha become these sort of metaphors for the prayerful life versus the action life. And, and Mar- Mary is, is, is lifted up for being one who sits and listens to the word of God as it comes from Jesus' mouth. And Martha is being chastised for doing all the things that require, are required of being a host. And I want to caution against such an interpretation Because number one, it pits these two women against each other. And number two, we know all the things that Jesus has been talking about up until this point. That he has been talking about the urgency of the message of the kingdom of God, caring for the poor, caring for those in need, seeking justice in the world around us. He's been talking about going and doing likewise. And that's exactly what Martha is doing in this story. She's going and doing likewise. How could we look at Martha and see anyone other than those in our own community who at funerals prepare luncheons for those who are grieving? How could we look at Martha and see anyone other than those who call members of this community who are lost or sick or who are in any kind of need or just need a phone call? 
How can we look at, at Martha as anyone other than someone who serves food behind the soup line at Crossroads Soup Kitchen or who, who works for justice, who has become one of those climate activists of this congregation? How can we look at Martha as anyone other than someone who is doing the go and do likewise that Jesus talks about? It's not about prayer and contemplation versus social action and service. We know those things are intertwined. We know those things go together. But the problem, I think, for Martha is that she has become so consumed with the go and the do likewise that this has become anxious, that she is in this process of anxious doing. That perhaps we could hear her question to Jesus slightly differently, as one commentator says, that Jesus, don't you care? Maybe it could be read as, Jesus, don't you notice me? Jesus, don't you see all of the things that I've been doing? Don't you see all the ways I've been a gracious host to people? Don't you see all the ways I've, I've served you and your disciples? Don't you see all the ways I've tried to go and, and do likewise? Another way, perhaps it's her saying, Jesus, have I done enough? Jesus, have I, I done enough? I think it's a trap that we fall into, especially in progressive congregations like our own, this thinking that the calling of the gospel is one that requires us to keep on doing until we are exhausted. Because the truth is, is that Jesus does see her. He sees all of the work that she's been doing, but he also sees just how exhausted she's become. That Mary is caught up in what my preaching professor in seminary said, the must, ought, and should She's so concerned with duty and responsibility that she has exhausted and worn herself out. This is just anxious responsibility that she is undertaking. And the gospel is never about anxious doing. It's never just about responsibility. It's always first and foremost about receiving that place around Jesus. Now, this story, I think, is a, a, a story that asks the question of who gets to sit at Jesus' feet, who has a place in front of him? And I think that this is so easily missed in this story. This is a patriarchal society. And, it was, and women in that society did not get to sit at the feet of the rabbi. And yet here is Mary claiming her place. And here is Jesus offering that same invitation to Martha. There's a spot for you, Martha. There's a place for you, Martha. That you are loved and you are accepted. Certainly, as Mary sat and listened to Jesus, she heard again that message that Jesus has been preaching all along the way. Urgency, caring for the poor, bringing good news to the poor, bringing justice for the oppressed, going and doing likewise. But until we first accept that we are loved, that we are accepted, until we accept that place in front of Jesus, all of our good news for the poor, all of our serving of the hungry, all of our clothing drives, all of the things that we do as a community— it will only ever be must, ought, and should. Anxious responsibility, diligent duty. It's always meant to be a response in love. And whenever we ask that question like Martha does, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you see all the things that I've been doing? Jesus says, why don't you come and sit a while? Come remember first that you're accepted and then you're loved. And then, Go and do likewise. Thanks be to God. Amen.